You're listening to the City Lights Sermon Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. If you have been watching the news, I don't know how many of you all do that. Um, If you're big into politics, you probably don't go to church here because we don't use this stage as an opportunity to talk about low things like uh, the politics, but we pray for those people all the time. In fact, if you attend the prayer room, when I'm leading most every single week, the Lord draws my attention to some world leader in prayer. Don't intend to do it, but he continues to cause us to be reminded of the things that Paul wrote to Timothy when he said, hey, body of Christ, people of Christ, children of God, When you live, live in a peaceable way with humanity. Pray for governors, rulers, and authorities, and kings, and all those people, that you might live a peaceable life. He actually doesn't even pray for Christian government. Paul says, hey, Timothy, pray that you, as a follower of Yahweh, a follower of Jesus, would be able to live out your faith in a peaceful way. And so we do approach it that way. That being said, I personally do watch world news and local news. Not local news too much, but I usually watch that, and then I turn on the CNN or or other stations to try to understand what's going on in the world. And if you've not noticed, Time Magazine puts out uh, an article towards the end of each calendar year, and they choose a person or persons of the year. And this year, I thought it was very interesting that I saw a headline that says, Silence is Broken, or The Silence Breakers. And I went, did Time Magazine write about the City Lights series? This is incredible. Uh, and and suddenly I realized actually that was the head headline for the Time Magazine Persons of the Year, and it was ultimately the silence breakers. Uh, I'm sure, even if you don't watch the news, uh, if you have social media, which I don't have, I'm sure that you've heard about all the men and women, primarily women, that have been speaking out against people who have sexually abused them or harassed them in their past. And it's been a big, big thing that's happened. In fact, when I was watching the news last night, they said in 2018, one of the biggest trends will be about sexual harassment and sexual misconduct. That'll be one of the biggest political issues that people will have to address. And it's not going away. So that's about as much political talk as I'll talk. But it's important for us to be engaged with culture and realize what's going on both in our city and around the world all the way down to our homes. But this reality is ultimately these women are being positioned as the people of the year because they came out and said, this person did this thing to me. And we just, I will say this, this is not an issue that we don't care about. We care very much about this. And the reality is there's been sexual abuse happening and the mistreatment of women and children in our country and throughout history. And really, when I look at study history, Jesus is actually the most outspoken, most pioneering person more than anyone for civil rights, for human civil rights and authority and equality for women and children to even have identity and existence. Jesus really is the pioneer for that. In fact, Oliver, weeks and weeks and months ago, actually talked about one of the pastors in John and said, it seems that in the scriptures, especially in Jesus' lifetime, that women seem to understand and get who Jesus is faster than the men do, which is pretty typical. Women mature faster and are more balanced in their emotions than men. I think I meant to say that. (laughs) They are. Moving forward, that'll keep me in good graces with women and We'll just move forward. My point in saying all of that is to understand culture right now is to understand that this is a, a sincere thing that's happening. And so when we chose our series, before all this came out and publicly was on the Time Magazine, we had a conversation called, let's do a series called Breaking the Silence, which Jesus does. And I, I'll just say as a side note, when I step away from my little uh, pulpit thing here, 
as a side note, we've seen in history in the last 20 some years of my faith, I realized when God had started putting things on my heart in song or in prayer or in creativity that suddenly it'll become a national or worldwide trend, not because I said it or I thought it, and it's, a lot of it's in private, but God is revealing things and doing things around the world and those who are listening hear it and speak about it. Even down to Time Magazine capturing that silence is broken. Well, ultimately we're talking about how Jesus broke the silence between us and God and broke down all the barriers. So, I mean, there's a trend there with culture that's happening that really echoes the kingdom of God in ways that are far greater than Time Magazine. But at the same time, Jesus cares about men and women and children who are being abused and taken advantage of. He, he's, an out, he's an advocate for those. And so uh, that's one of the reasons we're so glad to be loved by a God like that who is actually way ahead of us in all these ways. Ultimately, when you think about breaking the silence, we're talking about people who spoke up audibly, spoke up and told their stories. Well, I wanna make a statement that's gonna be clear for the next three weeks is ultimately that God is the one who started this conversation with humanity. In the scriptures, in the, the poem of Genesis, it tells the story of history. It says that God spoke and everything that we see and even things that we cannot see came into existence with just the speaking of his, of his mind into mouth, into noise that creates everything. In fact, Romans says in Romans chapter one that every single thing that you see is God communicating to you that he lives, that he loves, that he truly is God. Dallas Willard, he's one of my favorite writers and thinkers. He was the head of philosophy at USC, the one in California. I won't say the real USC, just the one out in California. Sorry, Stephen Lewis, but way out there in the Lewis clan. So out there uh, in USC, he was the head of philosophy for years and years and years, decades, decades and decades, and but a, a Christian pioneer for thinking. And one of the things that he says is really clear, and it sums up today really well, the human system simply will not function properly without hearing God. You and I hearing God is ultimately of utmost uh, priority. Andre Greiner, who pastors and cares for our middle schoolers and high schoolers, this is his primary goal for those years for students age, what, 11, 12 to, to 18, is that they learn to hear from God. It's ultimately the goal. And frankly, you could say that's really one of the goals of City Lights. Yes, we're here to exalt Jesus and to equip you to understand what it looks like to exalt Jesus and extend his kingdom. But ultimately, to understand what it looks like to have a relationship with God or live it out is to be in relationship with him, which is part is to hear from him. So Dallas Willard, I believe, gets it right. He says that the whole system, your, whole, your marriage, your workplace, even how you interact with yourself will malfunction. It will not functionally work practically, spiritually, emotionally, physically. We're not meant to work outside of communication and relationship with the living God. The beauty is Jesus is described in the book of Revelation as the first and the last. It, the description is alphabetical language from Greek language. He's the alpha and the mega. I mean, he's the A and the Z and he's every letter in between. He is the one who started the conversation. He's the one that'll keep the conversation going. It's just what he does is how he does things. So the three things I wanna mention this morning, I'm really only gonna teach on two, and the third is just giving you a primer for next week. But the three things are simply this, that God uh, speaks, and you could put that in every different tense, God has spoken and God is speaking. That's a, a statement that I'd, I'd love to present as authoritative and true because the scriptures say it. I also, as a person who's almost 40 years old, I'm 39, I can profess and say, yeah, God speaks in so many different ways. My life is an example of that. And probably all of us at some point in our lives could stand up here and say, yeah, I'm evidence that God speaks. But my first point I wanna make in a moment is that God speaks. The second thing is God didn't speak for about 400 years in the way that he did for several thousand prior to that. So there is a 400 a year period in our history called the intertestamental, meaning that in between these two testaments, old and new, 
where God does not speak the same way that he used to. And some of you might describe yourself as like, yeah, I've been living in an intertestamental lifestyle and relationship with God because he does, he's not speaking. And I hope that some of the observations I make from scripture today will help you see that maybe it's not that he hasn't been speaking, but maybe we just haven't been listening to what he has been saying. And three, last but not least, which we'll get to next week and the week after is Jesus breaks the silence. In fact, we're gonna be looking at... Um, Old Testament biblical prophecies, there's over 400 biblical prophecies that Jesus fulfills, which we'll look at the mathematics of that. It's pretty stunning. So first and foremost, how did and how does God speak? Well, John 10, John is one of Jesus' closest buddies. They hung out for three years. Uh, John is the most emotional and feeler of Jesus' buddies and friends. And John is his account. He's writing about his time that he hung out with Jesus. And Jesus, in John chapter 10, ends up saying some really special statements about communication and who we are. And the scriptures describe Jesus as a shepherd. And a shepherd in Isaiah 40 is somebody, that's an Old Testament passage, describes what a shepherd does. We don't have a lot of shepherding and shepherds actually literal in South Carolina. But ultimately, that shepherd would be responsible for the coming and going, helping uh, helping their sheep eat and be protected from enemies and come back and find sleep and shelter and protection, help them when they're hurting, bring them water when they need it, ultimately just like a really healthy, kind parent. And so Jesus describes himself as that shepherd, and he describes you and me, people, as the sheep. So let's read John chapter 10. Uh, I'm gonna, you'll see on the screen, I'm gonna read those portions of scripture, three, nine through 10, 14 through 15. You can read all of John chapter 10. I'm not skipping any of it for any other purpose than time. And he, and he speaks these things in repeat here. So I've just pointed out the ones that I wanna make mention of right now. So Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. And just as a side note, you might go, oh, I know God's speaking, but I don't listen. That's already an enemy from, uh, a lie from the enemy. You do listen, you do care. And you're like, no, I don't, I'm rebellious. Like, I just wanna say to you something better than that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not an optimist. I'm not just giving you feel good. Sheep listen. You're like, well, I've, I'm more aware of the foolishness I've done than the good I've done. Well, that's because you're listening and the spirit's trying to help you see, hey, how's that working out for you? But the sheep ultimately listen. I'm not the preacher or the one who understands the scripture that says, see, you don't listen. I'm one going like, no, 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 no. Listen to the authoritative voice of God. He says, you do listen. That's one of the marks of who you are. In fact, I would argue the fact that you're even physically here this morning is because you do care about the things of God. You are a listener to the things of God. My sheep listen to my voice. I call each one by name. This isn't just like roll call in the morning. He knows your name. He gave you your name. He thought about you long before you ever breathed your first. This is the kind of shepherd that oversees you. Okay, he knows you, you know him. He knows you specifically by name. He goes on to say, I lead them out and they follow me because they know my voice. Remember, I, I taught on this passage months and months ago. You can go on the podcast and find it. But ultimately the, the area that sheep would be in is almost like a, a circular, it's kind of like what our fire pit will be in our new property. It's just a circular area that would either be uh, branches or some stones and the sheep would be led into that at night and the shepherd would literally sleep in the doorway. There actually wasn't a, a door on hinges or anything like that in the shepherd's, like that, that area where all the sheep would go. The shepherd would literally lay there and if any predator came, then the shepherd would defend all the sheep that were in there. So I'm not gonna get into tons of detail, but Jesus is that for us. And some of us, though we don't maybe hear him or we don't think we do or we don't listen to him, and some of us think we don't see him and know his works, the fact that you're here today, again, is evidence 
that God has been shepherding you and bringing you to this place and bringing about safety and prosperity so that you could be in this moment. And he says, because they know my voice, they follow me. Again, I would say the fact that you're here, you do listen. He does know your name and you know that he knows your name and you do follow him and you are walking with him. Stop looking at the negative and stop looking at the sinful parts of your life that Jesus looked at and he decided to take all of that. You know, the shepherd knew exactly what he was getting into when he got into a relationship with you. He knew when he was speaking the first word how many words it would take and how many reminders and how many times, you know, I don't know that God was overtly patient. It's just that when we look at ourselves compared to him, we're like, wow, you must be patient. God is happy to be all things so that we can actually be in relationship with him. So we understand that God is patient or long-suffering in part because we're putting these things on display that challenge him. And God is so kind and so loving that we see what he's like in part because we're demonstrating things that were rebellious, but God anticipated all those things. He was full of these kind of uh, attributes that are on display. I give them safe pasture, and they go out with me in the path of righteousness. I give them life, my life, real life from God that is abundant and eternal. If you think about your life, it stinks. You're probably stuck in some sort of comparison trap or comparing what you thought your controlled dream could look like. And so I I don't mean to try to negate all of your excuses, but it's exactly what I'm trying to do right now is say that we have misunderstood, we've misapplied, we've misdiagnosed our situation and we tend to look how miserable we have been or how foolish and how much we've failed to do the things that we thought we would promise to do and then we decide who God is. The reality is, if we see who God is, we see the grace of God and the kindness of God on display in every single aspect of our lives. Our best listening and obedience is a work of God's grace. It's partnership. And our disobedience does not negate the partnership of God. He just suffered long with you in that. He's covering every single detail. I mean, that's, that's all that's being said. And you know, I've only said about two, I've only read about two sentences. But all this is saying is God's just basically like, I got you. I have you. Just because it surprises you and you didn't think you'd get this bad or you thought you'd get better, I knew better. And it's not changing who I am. God never changes. I give them my life, my life. I mean, we, we exalt Jesus, but, and we see him as God. There's no question about it. But we don't see Jesus as the, the extraordinary example. We see Jesus as the most normal human in history. In fact, scholarship and historians would describe Jesus in such a way. We're not being irreverent. We're not being, uh, trying to bring Jesus down to quote our level. God in his wisdom decided to actually literally not just come down to our level, to, but to literally put on the word incarnate, to put on human flesh and skin, to literally live a life, not just saying like, I'm gonna show you guys how to live. He's going, I'm going to demonstrate what obedience and trust looks like so that you might know. And it's not so like, I need to live up to Jesus. He's going, no, I gave you my life. And part of giving you the life is the standing that Jesus has with God. So do you. By grace, through faith, Paul writes to Ephesus and says that, to you and me. So the life that Jesus lived has now been given to you. It's not about perfection. It's about trust and obedience. A lot of religious people saw Jesus' life and said, that's not perfection. That's immorality. That's law-breaking. And there was a part in my undergraduate biblical studies that I had to wrestle, did Jesus really obey God's law or did he go around it? Was he actually a radical unto God or was he a perfect obedient son unto God? And I had to wrestle with that. I wrestled with that for about a year and a half because it was just, I was immersed in scholarship and we were just looking at the actual things. And now on the other side of it, I go, no, Jesus fully obeyed it. The things that looked disobedient was the way the world thought 
a quote in our culture, Christians should behave or not behave, what they should do and what they shouldn't do. That's why Jesus kept coming on the scene and saying, well, you think it's about this, but it's really about this. He kept turning things in ways, not twisting, not manipulative, but saying it's really like this. See it from this angle. He helped the self-righteous see that they were indeed not full of righteous, but unrighteousness. He goes on to say, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I don't even know you, God. I don't hear from you, God. Is genuinely just have that conversation eye to eye with Jesus because Jesus says, you know me. I know you. Well, I know you know me, but I don't know you. Like that, you realize. You only can have a, a, a dark or a, a light moment. The light, the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of Jesus' wisdom says that you know me and I know you. And a lot of us would go, I don't know that I know God. And you're probably gonna say, because I do this and I do this and I don't do that and I don't do that as criteria for you not belonging to him or him belonging to you. Criteria of evidence that you're not truly partners or that you're not doing your part. My friend, God anticipated and saw that we would never be able to quote, do our part. That's why Christ broke the silence, which was a foreshadowing for a few weeks now. That's why Christ broke the silence and became the glory of humankind so that we could be recipients of much grace. The biblical writers, if you've been here for the last month, you've heard me say, the biblical writers try to describe God and they go immeasurable, indescribable, incalculable, ineffable. And then they use all these descriptions to try to describe, even though they said, there's no way. So when you and I try to understand ourselves as a sheep and God as a shepherd, we oftentimes start to throw in criteria and measurables of our lives rather than keeping our heads up and saying, I'm gonna keep my eyes on God who is indescribable. So though your sin and your rebellion and your righteousness might have a certain number, it's not like a scale system of, I need to make sure that there's more righteousness and unrighteousness. The book of Romans says that all of it combined still is, Isaiah says, is filthy rags. And this is our God who anticipated all of us, who didn't wait for you to do well or get your grades up or do your extra credit. What's so sweet is what I was appreciating personally in our time of worship when I was sitting down right there was, God, you just anticipated all my moves. And so when I'm frustrated with the moves I did make or didn't make, when I'm frustrated with my wandering thoughts, my rebellious thoughts, my lustful thoughts, my, my anger, my frustration, my annoyance with people or myself, you knew it all. And your love didn't change. And my friend, God's not just putting up with you. There aren't second-class family members in the kingdom of God. Though I know a lot of us would rather be like, I'm just glad that I'm in. You, know, you don't ever need to put the light on me. Too bad. God loves who you are, and there's never gonna be one just like you. So you literally, not in a weird way, but you're the, John Stott, he's gone to be with the Lord. He died a few years ago, but he said we are literally trophies of his mercy and his grace. Scriptures say that at just the right time, God did what he did so that his immeasurable riches and grace would be on display for the world to see. Just as I know the Father and the Father knows me, that's how we operate. How can I sum all that up? If you think about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and their relationship, think about if they were to just choose English language with high, high, highest of intellect with the language of uh, the English language, and they were just to speak things back and forth to one another, 
you could easily have a category of things they wouldn't say, which in history and academia is called the via negativa, which means the negative way. You'd say, well, well, God, you're just not a gossip. And God, you're just not mean. And God, you're, they would say like, Jesus would be like, Father, you're just not grumpy. You're not grumpy like my dad on earth. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like, you're not this, you're not that. So there's one way to do that. And the other way is just, but you are love. And sometimes it might be like, your love is not like to be able to describe what he is. And the reality is what Jesus is saying in this passage is whatever my father in heaven says to me, he also says to you. That's how bountiful and immeasurable the work of Jesus is that he literally broke the silence and put in place of what you had, his righteousness and his relationship. So anything that you think God would be saying to you, he also has to say to Jesus. I'm not saying that you or I are God, but we are part of the family of God. Co-heirs with none other than the son, the one and only Jesus. So then how does God speak? How did he speak and how does he speak? Ultimately, I'm just pointing out this passage from John 10. I could have chosen a hundred different passages, but ultimately what I want to share with you right now is that God does speak. Not only did he, but he does. And I'll look at the intertestamental period for just a moment in a moment. But before I do that, there's going to be a little bit of an overwhelming slide for you. But I just wanted to, it's not exhaustive, but it's close. I mean, it's not thorough, but it's close to the ways that God has spoken throughout the scriptures. And by the way, that's one of the ways that God speaks is the scriptures. I think it's last on the list right here. But just look at this list. Try not to be overwhelmed by it. We're just going to go through it rather quickly. God is speaking. The top two statements right there, 7,099, let's just call it 7,000 or 7,100 living languages. This is an up-to-date February uh, 2017 there's, a, there's an organization that studies linguistics and studies languages throughout the world. And from their studies, it's up like 62 different languages from the year, or since 2015. And they find that there are 7,099, as of February, living languages on earth. What that means is there are living languages, people actively using language that is descriptive and said like that is an actual language and that is an actual language. So there's at least 7,099 living active languages on earth right now. The estimates are about, there are about 16,500 different people groups on earth right now. So all I want to state as we get started, as an anthropologist, as somebody studying, trying to understand social work, just human beings on earth, that God is not just bound to the language that we're speaking right now. We are one of them. So God speaks one language called English, but God also speaks 7,098 other languages on earth right now. One teeny, 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 tiny, tiny, tiny little challenge I want to give you is you say, I can't hear God. God never speaks to me. All I'd like to say is how many of the 7,099 different languages have you been listening in? And if you think I'm cuckoo crazy, just read the Bible. He wasn't bound to only speak. I mean, if you think we're going to get to heaven, like English is superior on earth, it's going to be superior in heaven. It'll probably be the least of languages in heaven because it seems to be one of the most primary on earth now. 16,500 plus or minus people groups. Do you know how many of those God cares for? Do you know how many God intends for to be at the, the garden city, the end when heaven is all and all things are made new? He intends for all nations to be there because it says that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, all nations, all people will come. And I, I'm not saying that that means every person throughout history, but it, God loves the people groups and the u- uniqueness. That's why things like racism and, and ethnic cleansing from genocides, it's so anti-Christ, it's so against God's heart. 
It's literally going to an artist. If I had paint, it's literally going to, if I laid all my paints out in front of me, it would be like somebody coming in saying, I'm taking this one and this one and this one and this one and this one because they don't belong. And as an artist, I go, but I had an intention for that color. I had an intention for that dialect. I had an intention for this and this and this. And so to say that is literally to look at the artist God and said, that one is not worthy to be in the painting. It's just idiotic in that regard. And for me personally, as a human, I have to work on being patient with bigots and racists because it's so disgusting to me. I don't get it. I genuinely don't. And part of that, when it's purely expressed through compassion and kindness and long-suffering and not just vehement anger from people, is close to the heart of the expression of God that his kingdom might be here on earth. Of these people groups, God intends to care for all of them, that all of his art, all of his glory might be on display. Let me just give you a a little picture of this. Some of you guys might be good with the whole big map in the world. Papua New Guinea, just in case you're not, over there on the right, it's in red. That's Papua New Guinea right there. Let me just give you, let me just read to you a statistic about Papua New Guinea right now. In Papua New Guinea, there are estimated 832 different languages. Look how small, I mean, just can you put that back on the map for a minute? Just look how small that is. I mean, I obviously it looks small on the screen, but if you can compare it to other areas, it's, it's not a tiny space if you look at, compare it to one of our states. But, you know, in Florida, we have a few different languages. We have Spanglish, we have English, we have Spanish. We really do have Spanglish. I think that's what my uh, Spanish-speaking friends tell me I speak. It's more of a Spanglish. It's a, it's a hybrid of it, which is not a great thing. But literally, uniquely, 800 in 32 different languages spoken by a population of 3.9 million. <laughs> Listen, that makes the average number of speakers of each language about 4,500 people. Can't these people just get along and pick one language? I mean, that's what I would think. If I was to go do ministry there and preach, I'd be like, wait a minute, how many translators do I need? 832? Come on. My grandfather at one time spoke to 1.8 million people and they were able to, he's able to speak it in English and they're able to translate it into the Korean dialect and the Korean language right there. I look at that and go like, let's do that. But in this situation to reach these people, you know that you need 832 different translators? What? Listen, that's between 40 and 50 different families, which is possibly the lowest amount of families in language that speak that language in the whole world. The only reason I point all this stuff out is you know that God is speaking to them. God loves Papua New Guinea and all the people there that he's like, 830 different languages? Got it. I got that. I can do that. Just Papua New Guinea. I don't know if that stirs you in the right way. It's not just supposed to be a statistic, but like, oh, that's neat statistics. I'm revealing and hopefully revealing to you the heart of God. That when we say, God's never spoken to me, Somebody in Papua New Guinea might say that, like, yeah, he's speaking the other 831, but he's not speaking our language. It's like, what? Come on. No way. He cares. He designed language. He's the first. He's the whole alphabet. This reveals the glory of God, and it puts it on display. Absolutely stunning. The Wycliffe uh, Bible translators, Wycliffe um, group translates the Bible to get into as many places in the world. Do you know that the single most language crossing document in history is the Bible. What I mean by that is of all the different speaking languages, let's say there's 7,000 and 99 of those, the Bible, uh, the Wycliffe has been trying to translate the Bible into all of those different languages. The Bible is the foremost document on earth, as far as I understand and have studied, that the, Bi- that the Bible has been translated into the most languages throughout the world. It's pretty stunning. That's an important document. 
The New Testament is available right now in, in 1,333, roughly, languages. The complete Bible has been translated into 553 languages. The reason I say that is, you know, you can look at all these statistics, God's speaking to all these people, but we're trying to make sure that these people are able to understand and treasure the things that we have right here. And so there's great works, and, I, and I'm not saying like, so we need to go translate the Bible. I'm, I'm saying I'm grateful that people are, and to do that and be about that is a really good thing. Really, really good thing. Let's look back at that list. God is speaking. So we have living languages. We have people groups. In Psalms, you see it so many times in Psalms, and you see it specifically in Romans 1, 19 and 20. It says that the invisible attributes of God has been on display throughout the beginning, the foundations of the earth, so that every human being, every man and woman and child might have the opportunity to hear from God, to see from God, to have communication from God. So even if we just look around the room right now, God's speaking. How? As you look at me, whether you like it or not, this is God communicating to you. Not that I'm God, but the the being that I am, the gray strands, I have like 17 different colors in my hair, not on purpose, I'm just getting older and it's changing all different colors and textures. That's the glory of God on display. Proverbs says it is at least, old old man with gray hair is like, that's like a beneficial thing. You guys get what I'm saying, right? What the scriptures say is, when you walk outside and you see all the things that have been fashioned by God and the things that have been fashioned by humans, it reflects that there is a creator of all things. St. Augustine said one of the greatest problems of humanity is they see all these incredible created things and they stay on the created things rather than appropriately putting honor and glory and praise and respect to the creator of all things. So we see that creation is consistently displaying. You know, angelic appearances and an angel, by the way, um, you, I, want, I want to hope, I think you know this, but in the book of Hebrews, if you read the book of Hebrews, it clearly states that there's divinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and just below, as far as a hierarchy in a, of authoritative dignity, is humanity. Angels are lower than humans. So one day when you die, heaven is, I, I wanna be very sensitive, because I know some of, many people have lost loved ones, and they said, heaven got another angel today, and I'm like, dang, that was a degrading move into heaven. You went from a son or a daughter of the kingdom of God to just literally a, a messenger that doesn't even carry the glory you are just below that. And Jesus made himself below humans and in so many ways below angels in order to restore and reconcile humanity back to the family of God. But the angelic appearances, I mean, you might think, oh, well, the Old Testament had a bunch of this stuff going on and Jesus' life had a bunch of that stuff going on. But I, and listen, I could have been exhaustive. This is a very reduced message this morning from what I actually had this morning. I removed about 12 slides that had about 36 different scriptures, but I know one of my weaknesses is when there's a scripture in front, I wanna explain all the little details. And so I was like, I better clear all that out and I'll just put a few little references. But in the scriptures, instead of listening to all the scriptures, there are 116 Old Testament appearances of messengers and workers of God known as the angelic spiritual beings that are messengers for God. In history, the Old Testament, people heard them and people also saw them with their plain eyes. But do you know the New Testament, which is, you know, the Old Testament represents thousands of years. The New Testament represents maybe like 50 or 60 years between the writing there are over 175. There are more angelic appearances in, the, in that portion of time than the collective thousands prior to it. 
One of the ways that God speaks is through angels. And if you're like me, when I was first becoming a Christian, I said, God, I believe in you. I believe that you forgive me of my sins and I believe you live with me, but I would believe more and I'd be more faithful and outspoken if you just let me see an angel. And then eventually I got so manipulative. I was like, just see me, let me see an angel's wing. And then I, I grew up with Disney World. So I was like, Let's let me see a little bit of dust off their wing, a little bit of glitter. I mean, you used to bargain with him in that way as to say like, if I've, you've, I mean, I, he was speaking to me in so many ways and leading me and amazing stuff, but I literally was like, but if you just spoke to me that way, and so you could easily go, well, I've never seen an angel, so I must not be X, Y, Z. Only the real deal people get to see angels. Only real people get this. Only people get that. Do you know that Jesus himself, when we get into these other ones, dreams and trances and visions, Jesus didn't even have any of that stuff. Dallas Willard, one of the mentors of mine through literature and his teaching, he says that the people who actually see and hear a lot are the ones that God's being really kind and gracious to because they don't listen. So he just sends these big signals to them. I mean, he literally flipped it. So we tend to be like, well, that guy's a seer and that person hears angels. And like, now you can go like, man, God really needed to help that person. <laughs> I don't see any of those things because I must be doing just fine. Obviously these are, at least these are the thoughts I have. I don't know if they're yours since you're chucking like, oh man, I do that. But anyway, that's, that was a really interesting perspective. But angelic appearances, that's one of the ways God's speaking. Mind and thoughts, Romans 12, I beseech you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present yourselves as living sacrifices of God. This is normal. This is the right fitting thing for you to do. And when you present yourself as a living sacrifice, not conformed, not letting your mind be chameleoned to the things of this world, but letting your mind be present to God, he renews your mind that you might know the perfect will of God. The reality is that God speaks to us in our minds and our thoughts. First Corinthians 2 is, I feel like, not that we need to compare him, but First Corinthians 2 goes way further than Romans 12. First Corinthians 2, Paul's writing the church of Corinth and he said, nobody knows the mind of God. No one knows the thoughts of God, but God's spirit does. And God's spirit literally searches the heights, the depths, the width, the lengths of, of the thoughts and the mind of God. And that spirit's been given to you that you might know the mind of God. That's one of the ways that God speaks. There are visions in the scriptures. I put Acts and Revelation just in case you think that visions were only the Old Testament. A vision is when you're literally awake, but you're able to see or know or understand things. It's almost like if you close your eyes, a really easy way to describe it is like you close your eyes and you're literally able to see. It's like turning on the TV or turning on your computer and you're just understanding things. Every vision you might receive might not be from God, but that doesn't mean that some of the visions you receive aren't from him. They very well could be. It's a biblical, consistent thing that God does. I mean, Acts and Revelation, by the way, is post the time where Jesus was walking the earth. So when the Holy Spirit comes on, visions are normative in the church. Dreams is happening when you're actually sleeping. Now, I believe I've experienced in the minority side of it, I've experienced dreams from God that communicate things. For me, one of the most normal kind of dreams that happens for me that for some reason, he'll just allow me to watch either the day that's about to happen or a day that's gonna happen. And it almost happens identical. When this first happened for me, I was so freaked out because I saw and heard even down to clothing and words and timing. And I tested it that day. And before somebody would walk in, I'd say, this person's about to walk in the room, watch. And they did. And I said, hey, are you about to say this? And they did. I mean, it was one of the most bizarre days for me. And I don't know that I've even had it be that spot on like that, but that was, I believe, I, prior to that, I didn't really know if God spoke through dreams. And I think he was kind to go, oh, really, buddy? 
you're not gonna miss this one. And you're like, wow, what happened? You know, what kind of revelations you get? Nada, no, 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 I went to the dentist that day. And all I knew is I knew who was gonna do my teeth and what they were gonna say and where they were gonna bring me and what they were gonna wear. Like, wow, what does that tell you? That God speaks through dreams and he was just earning my trust and he was rebuking me saying, hey, buddy, I might wanna speak in dreams to you. When I say the minority, I've also had other dreams that I'm so thankful are not from God because they're horrifying, both about you and me and everybody else. And sometimes, well, in all those things, I try to keep my hand open and say, Spirit, if this is from you, I know you're gonna lead me into the truth that you want me to know and hear. So we have dreams, we have Jacob, and we have Jacob's dream, and we have Zechariah and his dream in the New Testament. Trances, uh, ASC stands for an altered state of consciousness. Now that might sound like, whoa, Chris just got all Ashvillian on me. Well, just hold on, hold on. I mean, you know, God is spirit, right? You guys know that. And so that's one of the steps I have to take with a lot of people sometimes. Like, oh, I don't want to hear about demons, those spiritual things. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's creepy, weird. What do you do with God? And they're like, I love God. I'm like, well, he's spirit too. Okay, but I want him, but not the others. Like, oh, I wish I had eyes like that, that I only could see the good and the supernatural. But man, I see the dark stuff too. Oh, I don't want to hear about that. Like, stop. They're, They're winning your mind if you're creeped out by that. You have all authority over that kind of stuff. But a trance is a true biblical thing. One of the clearest examples of that is is Peter. God is rebuking Peter in a trance that he has. He's literally in the middle of the day and he goes into this trance. He has an altered state of mind. Now, I'm not not suggesting any kind of uh, medicinal format of that, but you guys have heard of that kind of of mind alteration. It's not what I'm describing. I'm talking about, listen, if, if your theology, your understanding of God and his kingdom is so narrow and rigid like that, like, how does somebody who does no space or physicality speak and then everything forms? That's crazy talk. That same God is able to alter what you think and alter what you see and alter what you know and alter what you smell so that you can know something he wants you to know. Is God bound? I, I mean, I could say that like that and I'll check in for a moment. How bound is God in the way that you see him? When you are going like, my life's been an intertestamental life, meaning God's been silent. I'm just curious, how have you tried to listen? And has your listening been like a list of demands like me? God, if you this, and I mean, I did it with the angelic, but I would do it in the natural. I used to grow up in the ocean and, and surf all the time and do all this stuff. And I used to pray when I was out there and became a Christian. I was like, God, just let me see a shark. I don't know why I was in the water wanting to see a shark, but I, was, I just thought that would be fascinating. And I would bargain with them. I, I reduced from angelic and I went all the way down to sharks. And said, so just, just, just let me see. And I did. I went all the way down to the tail. Like, let me just see the tail definitely swimming away from me, Lord. Ultimately, guys, this list, these are normatives. In fact, uh, secular science actually looked at the scriptures. And there, there's this, this scientist, researcher, PhD. His name's John Pilch and... Uh, really well degreed doesn't mean necessarily that he walks with the wisdom of God, but I thought his observations were extremely interesting. He said, according to anthropologists, this guy, human beings are capable of more than 35 different states of consciousness. Now, again, I'm not trying to tell you guys to either do substances or try to sit in a meditative state and try to get to all these different places. What I'm saying is God is not bound by time or space or any of the ways that you would think about communication. And so in some ways, science is starting to lead the way to describe the indescribable God better than theologians are. In fact, John Pilch looked at the book of Acts and he says this, Acts of the Apostles report more than 20 different alternated uh, conscious moments, experiences. There's nearly one in every chapter of the Bible. So scientists, 
you know, and I have two friends, by the way, who are um, professionals in the form of psychiatry and another one in another field. And in the last, in 2017, they both pulled me aside in a private conversation and said, do you believe in the miracle? And I'm like, what's the miracle? And they said, ways that people and humans change that cannot be described by science or rationale. And I went, do you? And they go, oh, that was part of our training in our undergrad and our upper level academics. I went, wait a minute, you're, you're the opposite of that. They're like, oh no, even in science, you have to have a space where you can't understand or describe. And I'm going, that's almost better theology than half of the upstate. And I'm not saying that in a mean way. I'm just going, how did you get there? Because God's speaking, even to those outside, as you might see them as outside, because they don't go to church on Sunday or say that they're a Christian. God loves them and is speaking to them. Ultimately, it comes down to this. The degree that you come to understand, this is a quote from Dallas Willard. The degree that you come to understand the whole of reality is something penetrated by God, meaning that God is putting his handiwork and displaying it all over throughout every single thing. Anything and everything's redeemable. Now, I don't want you to get hysteric and be like, all right, I ordered French fries and I ordered small and I got a medium. God, what are you trying to say to me? But to be confessional, I ask that. I ask with an open hand saying, hey, God, you wanna say anything? Because I'm trying to get in shape. Are you saying just take a day off? What's up here? Come on. Or is this the tempter? Is he just trying to say, here you go, eat some more. Ultimately, he says, once you understand that God can do all these kind of things and they're normative in scripture, in scripture in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the era that we're in. It's called the church era. Normal. Then you can begin to open yourself to the possibility of receiving direct communication from him. That's a wow to me. As I close, I just wanna, I'm not spending much time on this because I'm gonna get into it next week as we talk about the intertestamental period and how Jesus broke that silence. But I do wanna show you, there's a portion of time after the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. Malachi is not necessarily, and I'll show the chronological order next week of what are known as the major and minor prophets in the scriptures. And major is not like their message is better than the other. Major is meaning that there was more than one scroll written and minor is it was literally bound to about one scroll, meaning like one book that could have been stored. And so we're gonna talk about the chronological order and then the brokenness. But during that time that's known as the years of silence in history, the intertestamental period, the, the people of God were under all six different ruling governments. Look at these different ruling governments. You'll see them right here. And if you've, if you've been, if you're ever in the Catholic church and they read from the book of Maccabees, the book of Maccabees is a group of people who rose up to try to rebel against government and they reigned during number five, the Maccabean era. And, and so I'm gonna talk a little bit about why those aren't in, in our scriptures next week. I'm gonna talk about what this portion of time was about. But ultimately the silent years are, 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 is a time where God just wasn't speaking in the way he did before. We don't see any major or minor prophets speaking in that time in the land of, that God had promised. So there's reasons that we describe that as silent. But my friend, I just wanna remind you that you haven't lived in a time of silence with God. I wanna say that in a kind way, not a judgmental or hurtful way. God is speaking to you. And I, I do want to not just encourage you to open up your hand to just hear from God. I want you to open up your hands with God. Partner with him in your listening. You have never been in a period of time where God is not speaking. Unless you can show me a birth certificate and you are like 2,400 years old. You're like, man, I lived through that. That time was rough. <laughs> we live in the time period that Jesus looked forward to more than any. He said, it's better for me to go back to be with my father so that greater things can be done here on earth with people like us. 
He said, my partners are gonna fill the earth. They're gonna go to all the nations. They're gonna speak all the languages. They're gonna hear from me in their sleep. They're gonna hear from me in their awake. They're gonna tell stories that people go, you're crazy. Paul had to deal with that. He said, well, man, if I'm crazy, then I'm gonna be crazy for Christ. He says, fools, I'm gonna be fool for Christ's sake. And what he goes on to say is, here's what I've heard and here's what I've seen. If that makes me a fool, then I'm a fool. You know, it really truly was the, the quote, wise and knowledge that had the hardest time embracing God. It was the broken people who were the most worn out and the most ostracized that came and understood and trust Jesus. The people who were so desperate to hear, so desperate to be touched, so desperate to be cared for by God are the ones that seem to rise to the occasion and go, yes, I trust you, I'll follow you. So I just commission you as we close in prayer to be the people who find the lowest place is the place, not where you're clinging to much, but where you're clinging to just interaction and communication with God. Don't even let your ability to listen lead the way. Just come to him poor in spirit saying, God, I love you and I wanna hear from you. Don't base it on your own criteria. The statement I made with Dallas Willard earlier, I'll make again, the human system, your life simply will not function properly without hearing God. I pray over you, church, that your relationship with yourself and your mind might come into the place of hearing with God, that your marriages might come into the place of hearing with God together, that your workplace, your bossing or your employing, whatever it might be, that you would walk in the hearing with God. In your athletics, in your recreation, in your quiet time, meaning that's literally quiet, your private time, your loud time, your time of eating, your time of resting, your coming and your going, may all of it be a time that is so flooded with the communication of the God who loves you. And may you see like John saw, John first saw in in Revelation when he was in this trance and he was able to see the first thing he says is that's the one who loves us. He saw God with his eyes. He said, that's him who loves us. So may your life be filled this day incredible beauty of God who loves you. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes channel. We hope you've enjoyed exalting Jesus with us.